Clap was terrible, but I know it is. Well, so. I think I think I was a little fast this time. I think I was a little slow. I hesitated. Mm-hmm. I got nervous. Maybe we'll balance each other out. Isn't that adorable? Somehow. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I have to say that I'm enjoying, I'm really enjoying the show. I'm really enjoying talking about the show and doing episodes about the show. I'm 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 missing the book and I am like sad to not be reading it because I cannot wait for you to get to several moments in this book. It's so funny. Even every time we watch the show, I'm like, oh my god, I miss reading the book. Oh my god, I want to. Yeah. I want to get back. So I'm, it's it's yes. good that the season is short, so it's not much of a break. Um. Yes. Agreed. I also there have been moments where I've kind of wondered the tv show might at some point kind of start including things from books we haven't read yet and so my question to you is how do you want to handle that like do you want me to not if there are things that haven't happened in the books but i recognize them as like maybe happening later or they're totally a change how do you want to handle that do you want me to just like not tell you whether or not it happens in the books I guess it's going to depend on how severe of a spoiler it is. Because I'm obviously going to want to know like yeah. certain things. Like, oh, is that something in the book? Or is that something I don't know yet? I guess just tell me yeah. if it's something I just don't know about yet. And then I could let you know if I want more information. Okay. All right. All right. We'll figure it out when we get there. And we probably should get through, in the next year, we should get through four, five, six, and like maybe even seven. Yeah. So we'll we'll be ahead. I think we might. I think we'll get there. I think we'll be think ahead we'll of be that right. most of the time. Yeah. All right. I have two things to tell you. Okay. The first one is that the actor who plays Maxim on Wheel of Time, Mm -hmm. whose name is Taylor Napier. Mm -hmm. And I tweeted, I think it, I think this is Cool Story's most retweeted and liked tweet to date. All I did was tweet a tweet that said more warder cuddling after the episode where uh, they were cuddling by the fire. Uh And everybody, like the entire world, it felt like retweeted that and liked that. And including the actor who plays Maxim. And he was like, I'm always down. Isn't that cute? Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Also, if you just happen to be listening to this podcast, we love you. Love you so much. The second thing is that's another really cute thing is that um, Spotify, you know how Spotify gives you like your end of year wrap up kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't use Spotify, so I don't I don't have that personally. But uh, I guess it recaps not only songs, but podcasts that people listen to. And several people enough. Yeah. Okay. And like several people tweeted us saying or like showing that we were their top or in their top podcast that they listened to. And I liked that was so sweet. A, it's weird. It still blows my mind that people are listening to us, period, but enough mm-hmm. to show up in people's favorite podcasts. Um, and and then yeah. for them to be proud of it and, and yeah. actually like let, let other people see. I, I'm, it's my heart. My heart exploded. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you to everyone who is listening, period, but also thank you especially to the people who let us know that they 
really like listening to our podcast. So thank you. Yeah, because we we love having all of you as part of our like big old wheel of time family. So mm-hmm. so thank you for for showing your appreciation, and we you know we love we love doing this. So yeah, for sure. Okay, well, here we go. We are recapping episode five of the Wheel of Time TV show today. Mm. Here we go. So I'm this episode so ready. <laughs> this episode opens with kind of one of those moments, like one of those loud silences is kind of how I would describe it. Like uh, mm. like sounds are sort of muffled, but they're it's it's I think in a way kind of like the overwhelming nothingness is like how I would describe the like audio and and visuals of these opening scenes. It's kind of so, like when they the sound they do when there's um like a bomb goes off and afterwards yes. like someone's yes. kind of just walking around or yes. Oh, do you remember that Buffy episode where Ugh. her mom has the aneurysm? Yes. It's very Ugh. much like that. Yeah. That's what I felt. Yeah. And you know what's really funny actually? Somebody I'm 99% sure somebody else made that exact comparison on social media between this episode and the Buffy the Body <gasps> episode. So oh. you're on a, you're on a psychic wavelength with somebody on Twitter. Yes. So it makes sense. There was kind of a a literal bomb that went off in the last episode and we are reeling from the effects of it cuz we open with a funeral scene. Uh, it actually opens on Alana Again, one of the things that I'm liking a lot about the TV show is in the books, there wasn't really much, like, not a lot of ritual or, like, mythos behind any belief systems other than, like, against the darkness. Um, and mm-hmm. so I I liked this sort of um, scene of bringing that in. And I really liked that they had, like, Alana with kind of, like, a, a, a white face paint on part of her face, which presumably is connected to a, a mourning ritual in the world. So mm-hmm. they're burying everybody who died in the last episode, all of the, um, and they're burying everyone. So I, like, cause they buried the King of Gaelden. Um, mm-hmm. Gaelden? Is that how we decided we're pronouncing it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm presuming that they're burying everyone who was killed, including any Aes Sedai and warders. Um, and Stepan walks up and he's carrying Karene, I think, is how they decided to pronounce it. In my head, it was always just Kareen. Mm-hmm. But I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll accept it. And he obviously is destroyed emotionally because Karene has died. And he's laying her into the ground and uh, kind of, like, hesitates covering her up with the sort of, like, white shroud that they've got covering all the bodies. I, okay, so I remember when we started reading the very first book together... And I talked Mm -hmm. about Nynaeve's character and how I felt like it was going to be difficult to pull it off because Nynaeve is simultaneously, like, one of the strongest and also one of the, what's the word I want to use? Kind of, like, most sensitive people, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And if you don't get that inner dialogue, I was worried that if we didn't get enough of that inner dialogue that she would just come across as kind of, like, abrasive. Yeah. But... I am so thrilled with how Zoe Robbins is playing Nynaeve. Like, there was, there's a moment where this funeral scene is happening, and, and Nynaeve is playing with her braid, and she does this, like, little kind of, like, nervous finger movement down it that sort of, like, 
counting the braid locks or um it, it's just there she's doing an excellent job at showing Nynaeve's vulnerability while mm-hmm. like showing everyone else how strong she is so she's killing it i love it i love everything about her i'm so impressed with her she does such a good job of showing the so much without dialogue like so much yes. in her facial expressions and her nuances and it's so perfect and she does a really good job of that like false confidence that she has too that like feigned confidence that comes off like at 80 percent believable you know what i mean yes like yes oh it's so good and just even her emotions that she just shows like when she's looking at lan it's i know it's just the best she's so she's so good i fully embodied into the Lan and Nynaeve romance oh. in the TV show in a way that I oh. never was in the books. So, obsessed. Mm. Okay. So, Stepan lays Karenay in the soil, in the soil, in the grave, and Moraine says, may the last embrace of the mother welcome you home, which is a Shi'anaren, uh kind of prayer for the dead. And so I just thought it was interesting that they kind of just brought that less into like a specific region's kind of culture to more to what seems like more a general culture of mm, people true. in the the world. Yeah. And this episode includes a lot of eye contact. And unlike the first episode where I felt like there was too much eye contact, I feel like the eye contact in this episode makes a lot more sense because we get a lot of meaningful glances between Lan and Moraine. Oh, Yeah that are like really about them feeling the realness of one of them losing the other. So it's it's kind of a an interesting like this person means so much to me and also we're kind we're not there's no romance, but this is one of the most important people in the world to me kind of thing. Yeah, it's so. very emotional and very impactful. Yeah. Then we get the theme song, which I still love, and mm. here's what I'm hoping. Okay, I had an idea today. I'm hoping that the the opening visuals change every season, that we're getting like different aspects of the pattern or the, the tapestry. Um, I hope we start to see things like kind of like falling apart as like the Dark One's Ooh. influence seems to be growing. So I'm, I'm hoping they continue cool. to play with that. Yeah. Oh my God, me too. Now, I'm, now I want that too. <laughs> <laughs> So when we come back from the title sequence, we get a little uh, one month later, you know, kind of text on the screen, and we are seeing that same group of folks, Moraine, Lan, Nynaeve, and the Aes Sedai contingent with Loghain rolling up to Tarvalon. On their way, they pass by some kind of tall stones that are etched with, like, carvings and symbols and things like that. And one of the great debates on the internet right now is what those are. And I'm wondering if those aren't, like, remnants of portal stones. Oh, okay. Now I want to see what they look like again. Yeah, they're kind of, they're not, like, the perfect round portal stone that we see in the, like, chapter icons. They're more, like, broken slabs of stone kind of looking things to me. But I'm wondering if we're going to get more of that or if we'll, portal stones, I mean, yeah, we'll see how much of a, a significant role I guess they choose to give those in the show. I feel they better have portal stones in the show. I mean, I think they will have to. There are moments where I'm not sure they would have to change some things pretty severely. Hmm. So Loghain, not looking great. Um, 
Lan and Moraine kind of like banter about Tarvalon home, it, whether it feels like home to them or not. And Moraine has this cute thing about like, these boots are, are my home, this saddle is my home. Like, I've spent more time traveling the world and searching for the Dragon Reborn than I have in Tarvalon. Um, and she asks Lan if he thinks that Nynaeve will be okay in Tarvalon. And he's like, why are you asking me? And she's like, shares a little bit of a knowing glance with him and is like, um, he, she eats at the warder's fire every single night. But <laughs> Lan chooses to deflect and is like, oh, no, no, no. She's just worried about Stepin. And we kind of get a little more dialogue about, you know, Stepin is sort of mm, kind of like. Uh, not Not dealing with it well. Yeah, exactly. Not dealing with his grief well. So then we cut over to Rand and Matt, and Matt looks so convincingly terrible. Oh, yeah. I was obsessed. Like, the whoever did the make there, because you know, when people are like sick or whatever in TV shows, it often looks really like bad, pale makeup, and they put like the wrong color red around their eyes to make it <laughs> make them look ill. They did a yeah. good job with him. No, he looks, he looks terrible. <laughs> So yeah, yeah he so looks great. Credit to the Wheel of Time makeup artist for that because I think it's not an easy thing to try to do, and they did it well. Um, yeah, Matt or sorry, Rand recognizes Dragon Mount. He's like, I've seen this before, which we know is not uh, necessarily possible because he hasn't really been outside of the two rivers as mm. a uh, you know. Anyway, then they spot Tarvalon. And here's the thing. So when the still images of Tarvalon first came out, I was kind of like, okay, like I liked it, but I wasn't obsessed with it. Um, I pictured it very differently. And when it's shown in sort of like the, the aerial panning shots that we get in the show, I like it much more. Me too. I agree. I think especially in the still image, it just looked a little bit too small, not small, but like, it just didn't have the same grand vibe in the picture, yeah. even though it's yeah. a big city. But when they, yes. like you said, when they pan over it and you see like the scale and like the way they've sort of, there's depth within the city. Like there's like hills within the city that show yes. like the buildings like really sprawling out behind them. I, I thought it looked great. I was yeah. very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I thought the city was beautiful. I really liked the kind of architecture of it. Um and then once we get that those aerial views, we get the inside views because Rand and Matt are walking into Tarvalon. Um, and Rand says blood and ashes, which is one of the, the Wheel of Time swears. And mm -hmm. so I'm sure people who were waiting for those were very pleased to hear it. Mm -hmm. But we see like a camel. There's like beautiful plants and all the architecture is gorgeous. Like it, it looks like a really prosperous, beautiful city. And... Something mm -hmm. I didn't know, uh, online I was kind of commenting on a later scene of, like, how much I loved the windows in the Tarvalon scenes. Like, there's a beautiful kind of, like, oh, yeah. uh, honeycomb pattern almost to the to the panes in those windows. And somebody online told me that a lot of set design nowadays, maybe, is through, like, industrial 3D printers. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Which I was like, oh, that's actually really clever and really smart. So I, I guess a lot of this is from 3D printers, which is pretty cool. That is really cool. So Rand buys some food because he's hungry. He says it tastes good. Matt's like, what is it? What is it? And Rand's like, I don't know, but it's yummy. And he offers it to Matt and Matt turns him down. Mm -hmm. Which I think, again, I just love that we're getting how sweet 
and like caring Rand is in these early uh, episodes. Yeah. So they're heading toward an inn, and apparently it's one that Tom recommended to them. So this is kind of like an interesting um, blending, I guess, of the Queen's Blessing in Camelin and this scene in Tarvalon. So kind of uh, giving us that storyline a little bit. True. And the inn is expensive, we learn. Much more expensive than back home. But they get a room with two beds. I don't know why they got two beds, but Matt lays down, (laughs) continuing to look terrible. And then he asks Rand to tell him, tell me again, uh, tell me about the little girl. And Rand is like, you didn't kill her. Like, again, you didn't kill her. Like, you wouldn't do that to a little girl. Like, Tom saw you, uh, saw the, and saw it, and and he thinks it's not you. And Matt is like, Tom's dead. But Rand says, don't tell me about Tom. (laughs) <laughs> Don't tell me it's about Tom. Uh, Rand says it was the fade. It's not you. What do you think? I think you I think pointed it out. Yeah, because Matt's knife was clean. Yeah. Didn't you point out that there was no blood? Yeah, because when I saw him standing there with the knife, I was like, "Don't make Matt have done this. That would be very hard to come back from for anybody." Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. But then he I holds agree. the knife up, and it's like clean, clean. Yeah. I for some reason I was not eagle-eyed enough to notice that. But uh, I did notice, or I did think, that it was really unlikely that they were going to make Matt have killed this family. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think what they're giving us, though, is I think he's going to question that for oh, a long time. Totally. And I think that they want the audience to kind of question it, too, you know? Because yeah. they want people to feel the severity of what could be possible, you know, yeah. when you're we... under the spell of the Dark One. And I think um, we'll probably get, like, I think they will continue with that because also we know that Matt kind of comes out of this with, like, Swiss cheese in his memory. So Mm -hmm. um, not Swiss cheese in his memory. His memory is like Swiss cheese. (laughs) So um, we come back to Moraine and Lan in the tower and they're taking Nynaeve into the warder's quarters. And somebody, number one, that is funny to say to me, warder's quarters. It sounds like a, a funny tongue twister. But mm. number two, somebody online was like, uh-huh, sure, Lan. Of course it's the safest place to take Nynaeve to your bedroom. Right. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> so Maureen and Nynaeve kind of have a little bit of a back and forth. Um, more, Nynaeve still doesn't really trust Maureen. But Maureen is kind of, um, kind. I think, kind to her in a way that we never really see in the books. Like sort of consoling her about you know, she must be struggling right now that realizing that she can touch the one power. Um, You know, your friends are missing. This is a lot. And then she basically tells Nynaeve, like, be careful. Like, tricky, I said I are tricky. Uh, And Nynaeve is basically like, well, if I'm so powerful, maybe you all shouldn't be (laughs) underestimating me. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And my note to myself in the scene, in, in all capitals, I wrote the word fuck because... I was so in love with, if you watch this scene, she does, like, these little glances at Lan that are, like, looking at him, and then she does, like, a little, like, dropping her gaze to, like, contemplate for a moment and kind of, like, going back and forth. And so, again, I just love, you You pointed it out, these little glances that she has with Lan throughout the ep- these episodes are so good. So good. Like, I don't understand pe- how people act at that level, where they are thinking of every little 
inch of their body while they're doing it. Like, fully, totally. really. Like, you could tell she really understands this character. Like, yes. And has a love for her, like, like those of us who love her do. Yeah, yeah. So Maureen is basically like, you can't go back to where you were. You'll never be the same after having touched the one power, but that's a gift. And then she says, like, I'll find your friends and I will bring them to you. Mm-hmm. Then we cut over to the Tinkers. Number one, I really like how Perrin's hair looks as it's growing out. I think it's really cute. Me too. And he's, he seems to be doing a little better. He's not quite in the, you know... Um, state of shock that he was after having killed his wife and mm-hmm. run away from the two rivers. He seems to be a little more himself. Yeah. He's, he's the tinkers are definitely bringing his wall down a bit. Yeah. And my, I wrote that Aram and Perrin flirt a little bit back and forth. Uh, mm-hmm. And I enjoyed tweeting in all capitals, Aram and Perrin just kiss already. <laughs> I would be all for that. Oof, yeah. So Egwene then runs from off screen and pops over and like jumps on Perrin and gives him a hug in what is just the cutest moment, I think. Um, And here's a question that I have for you. So some people have kind of pointed out a few things about Perrin and Egwene's dynamic where like he was kind of looking at her in the opening scene in the, in the bar in episode one and it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, give her my regards. And then he, when he goes to see his wife, Layla, he's like, people said you didn't even come to Egwene's um, oh, you know, thing okay. today. And then they've been very sweet to each other, I think, just because they love each other. But I'm wondering if they're setting, if the story behind Layla is around maybe some jealousy around Egwene hmm. and maybe like Perrin has some feelings for her. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. What do you think? Do you think that's likely? Now that you say it, I could totally see why someone would come come up with that. Yeah. I I don't think so. I've always personally really liked Perrin and Egwene's relationship in the book. Yeah. I feel like they have something a little bit different of a dynamic that some mm-hmm. of the other... Um, like, I don't see a big one with Matt and Egwene, for instance, but... Right. With Perrin and Egwene, I've always felt like they were sort of like brother-sister. Yeah. Um, and he was protective over her and worried about her, not at all, obviously, in the same way Rand was. And I'll always remember that moment when um, Egwene understands Perrin and the whole wolf thing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And she, when she's telling Moraine about everything that happened, that's the one thing she, like, kept. And she said that's Perrin's secret to tell. And yeah, I just always thought they had a really cute dynamic together. So that's how I saw it. But yeah. actually, that would make some sense. I hope that's not it. I, f- I hope it's more Wheel of Timey than that. Because that's not <laughs> yeah. really, you know? It's definitely not in keeping with the story. I mean, if they end up doing it, I probably won't care. But it's definitely not the choice I would make, I think. No, that's not Perrin. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. And then Egwene is like, did you see it? And Perrin says, what? And she says, the White Tower. And... I really loved the way they shot this scene of the White Tower of of Perrin and Egwene seeing it for the first time. Because unlike the original vantage we got of like a bit pretty big aerial view, this one really emphasizes like like I think the first one really emphasized the grandness of Tarvalon, and I feel like this shot was sort of giving you a from the ground upwards view of the tower. Just sort of for me, what really emphasized like 
the smallness of people in relation to the tower. And so I just, I really liked that. That's true. So then we get some white cloaks, unfortunately. Mm. And they kind of harass the tinkers. And I think her name is Ila, I-L-A, right? I think so. That sounds right. Ila is kind of sassing them, telling them that you can't take our people. We're, you know, peaceful folk. And... Uh, he's like, well, how do you plan to stop us? Because uh, he spots Perrin and Egwene and is like, bring those to me, bring them to me. And they form like a little tinker blockade, a little like peace blockade, to which Valda's response is to slap the shit out of Ela. Uh. And then there is like Slapfest 2002 because all of the White Cloaks get off their horses and just start slapping everyone. Yeah, they're like attack just... A- assaulting them yes yes with their bare hands Uh, but still yeah so meanwhile while they've while they're slapping the peace blockade uh aram takes perrin and Egwene and and is like follow me and runs off and is like there's a village this way they'll they they'll take us in um and perrin and Egwene are kind of worried about aram's safety if they're caught and he's like white cloaks won't kill tinkers i'll be fine and then we get something that i was both expecting, but it was almost like a jump scare startling moment when they're like running and suddenly a, a white cloak on horseback just kind of like barges in from off screen and knocks mm-hmm. Aram down. And then we get the three white cloaks kind of surrounding Perrin and Egwene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feelings. How did you feel about the white cloak and the tinkers, their capture? I mean, like you said, I was expecting it this episode. Um, I remember in the first book when they are captured, it's one of uh, the first times I remember, like, making an audible noise reading the book and being like, oh, my God, I have to, I can't put it down. I need to know what happens next, you know? <laughs> this yeah. was one of those moments that always stands out for me in the first book. So I thought they did this part of it really well. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so then we get a scene of Rand back in Tarvalon, and he's going into the library of the inn that he is staying in, and he hears a deep voice behind him, and we finally get to see Loyal. Hmm. Okay, so Loyal. what what do you think? I we both I think expressed some concern when we saw some of the images. Uh, oh, a yeah. little while back. How do you feel now having seen him? I don't know yet, honestly. I'm okay. I'm not thrilled. Okay. It's better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. In terms of like doneness and looking like a yeah. character. Yes. I. It's just there's something wrong <laughs> with the like texture of the skin. Or the oh. the shape of the face. There's a there's a loyal to me has a very almost animalistic, beastly like kind of look to him. Okay. And I feel like they gave him an organic sort of like strange shell or like bark like mm. texture mm-hmm, to his mm-hmm, face, mm-hmm. like a smooth tree. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, the hair I can live with. It's not my favorite, but there's something wrong with the face that I'm just not loving. So it's so funny that you say that because that was actually one of my favorite parts about Loyal uh, was I really liked the the effect on the skin. I really liked the sort of like tree-ish, bark-ish nature of areas of him. Mm-hmm. And the reason I I like it is because I... 
I've I remember reading that there is going to be no Green Man in the series. Like they just couldn't write him in. And yeah. there there's always been this like connection between the Ogira and nature that I kind of I kind of get the decision to push him in a like Green Man sort of naturey direction. So I'm I'm actually pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I mean it it looks fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been my choice. It would okay. not have been my choice to go that way. Gotcha. Um, I also am not sure how I feel about the voice. <gasps> Matt, how dare you? That, and I also I... don't know how... I, maybe it's not the voice, it's the dialogue. That's really... Okay, I'm going to change mm. that. It's not okay. the voice, it's the dialogue. Okay. Um, Which we'll get to when he starts talking. And you know how they were doing the stomps when he's walking around? The stomp mm-hmm. sounds? Mm-hmm. I'm not... It doesn't fit. It just feels corny, the stomp hmm. sounds. Like, okay. they don't sound like he's legitimately just like a heavier being walking around the room. Sounds mm-hmm. like someone is like walking around upstairs or something. Or like a <laughs> giant. Like a giant. You know? Okay. Um, yeah, and I understand he can't be like ten feet tall. I understand that'd yeah. be hard, but he uh, he is. At first, I was like, okay, he's not even that big, but I could see what they're doing to mm-hmm. try to make up for that, like the perspective yeah. sort of shots they're doing and stuff. So he's he's larger. He's still ducking to get indoors and stuff. Yeah, you know, we'll see. I loved him. I, his voice, I think is one of, I actually tweeted, so there's a scene later on where Loyal is just rambling while two Mm -hmm. other characters are having a full conversation. (laughs) And everybody like loved that moment because they were like, that's absolutely what Loyal would do. He would just keep rambling about whatever book he remembers about this moment or something. Um, And I... I tweeted that I don't blame Loyal for rambling because if I had a voice as beautiful as this actor's, I would literally never shut up. I think his voice is perfection. I loved it. I, 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 I'm I not mad at the voice. It, it really is the dialogue. He said the word yeah. humans 25 times in 10 seconds. Yeah. I will say there are there definitely are a couple of like rough moments in this episode for me. And I do think I, I'm happy that we're finally seeing Loyal. It felt like they had to make some challenging decisions about how to introduce him. And there wasn't kind of like the best choice for like, they, there just wasn't enough time, I think for loyal in the episode for them to be able to set up the dialogue effectively is kind of how it felt to me. Yeah. And the dialogue he has after Rand leaves the room by himself just felt like, no, this is, what is this? (laughs) What is this? I was okay with that part. Um, So he is excited to meet Rand because he's never met an Aielman before. And Rand's like, I'm not an Aiel. And Lan- Loyal says, really? Like, you meet this description and this description. Like, where are you from? And he says, the two rivers. And he's like, an Aielman from the two rivers. And uh, he describes that as an oddity and then has a line that I really liked where he says, I like oddities. Mm-hmm. Um and then Rand picks up the book, The Travels of Jane Farstrider, and looks a little sad, and Loyal asks him why. And he explains that there was a, a woman he used, or I think he says girl, but uh, there was a woman that he knows from the Two Rivers who used to read it all the time, presumably Egwene, um, maybe Nynaeve, who knows. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Egwene. And 
he hears these like drums beating and is like, what's going on? And we he see that it's Loghain being brought into town. Mm. So Rand runs outside and Loyal's like, oh, okay, goodbye. Uh, (laughs) And Rand spots Matt like sitting on a windowsill kind of a little ways up to watch the parade. I I don't Mm -hmm. know if parade is the right word, but procession. Procession, yeah. Although there are little drummer women in the front, (laughs) which... (laughs) You know what's so funny? I've always thought drumming... I know it's... I know there's reason behind all of those types of things. I've always just thought drumming at the beginning of a procession was always like silly, but I get, I get it. Like they're getting it. They're getting the attention. They're getting people to like get out of their way. I don't know. Wow. Anti-drummer. Anti-drummer. <laughs> um, so by the way, even though Barney Harris, Matt is like looking like he's been dragged through hell. He is so attractive he really is oh my god barney harris so we see that stefan is walking in and he's uh leading karenne's horse which she is not on because she is dead and but we see her like boots tucked into the stirrups and people in the crowd seem to know what that means because they like gasp like oh my gosh and i said i was killed and then we kind of get some dialogue with Matt and Rand, and R- Matt is kind of basically pontificating on the Dragon Reborn and, and whether one of them will be able to channel and if they'll go mad. And at this moment, Loghain looks up at Matt and Rand, and he starts laughing like uh, he's completely lost his mind, and he's seen just the most ridiculous, amazing thing. Um, and we kind of get this, like, they've shot it in such a way that maybe it's all in Matt's imagination. Yeah. That he's, like, I think it is. Okay, okay. So, Matt says, promise me, Rand, that you won't, that if one of us can channel, if one of us is the Dragon Reborn, that you won't let me become that, uh, referring to Loghain. Mm. And... Rand is like, I promise. And then he asks, would you, would you do the same for me? And Matt's response is, you bet. Which <laughs> yeah. was kind of, um, I think, fitting for Matt because the in the series, we sort of saw him, I think, be probably the person who reacted least kindly to Rand after he found out he could channel in the books. Oh, yeah. He was the so, one that was most like, ooh, it's over. He's yeah, just not Oop, you're not anymore. you're not who you were. Yeah, you're not my friend Rand anymore. Mm. So then we get a scene where Stepan is being dressed by Maxim and Yvonne, Alana's warders, and they're dressing him in white, which in the Wheel of Time world is like the color of mourning. So he's mourning Karene. Mm-hmm. Again, the actor who plays Maxim is so attractive. He is. <laughs> so Taylor Napier, if you are listening to this, call call in. <laughs> call um, in. <laughs> call in. Call in now for your free reading. So Leandrin, we learned that Leandrin got hit in the face by a radish, and somebody on Twitter was like, I am so devastated I did not get to see Leandrin get hit in the face with a radish. And I am also sad that that didn't get on camera because I would love to see that moment. Right. 
Um, and Stefan gives a monologue about kind of his history and his relationship with Karene and um, how she kind of essentially saved him, that he was on a, a collision course with trouble and um, she bought him a beer and they became friends and she asked him to be her warder and he felt honored by that. Um, and I thought that was a really emotional monologue that I kind of loved. I did too. I felt like it was just a little strange the way they presented it. Like it didn't feel organically elicited from him, Hmm. if that makes sense. Like he was like getting ready in front of the mirror, I guess, with all the other warders around him. And they were like, okay, it's time to go. And then he just like kind of launched into the monologue. And I get it. Like he's looking back at their lives, obviously, before this, you know, moment, but I don't know. It felt a little bit long. I liked mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. but it felt a little bit long for like a standing in front of the mirror, like reflection. Yeah. You know what I mean? I could say that. Yeah. I think um, I kind of like read into it because I think right before he begins his monologue, he pulls out her neck, her ring on a necklace. Oh, and yeah. so I kind of thought of thought it as like just him reminiscing of, of, about her. Yeah. Okay, and Maxim says that the White Tower gave him the first family he's ever had, referring to Alana and Yvonne, and um, Stepan says, it's good that you lads have each other. And Hmm. then somebody says, probably ten more warders if Alana had her way. And Lan says, including you, to Stepan, because we sort of learn that one strategy to helping a warder through their grieving process is to bond them to another sister. Right. So that offer is kind of on the table, apparently, for Stepan. And there's an amazing scene later on that I can't wait to talk about. But first we get another, in my opinion, amazing scene because they say it's time and they start processing through the halls of the White Tower And it appears to be, they're kind of going into this area where there are a lot of other men sort of like standing in formation. And then they all sort of like stop in formation and Stepan continues walking forward. And we see this like bowl of, this huge, huge bowl, like mm -mm, waist height, human sized bowl of fire. Mm. And when we get a better look at it, we see that there is this like lip of gold or like a a ring of gold like molten gold within the bowl and then they do what i think is possibly my favorite like addition addition to the lore of the wheel of time he puts her ring back in the molten gold and it's what uh has been confirmed by sarah nakamura who is the research assistant for the wheel of time is that new sister's rings are forged from that metal. So there's this, um, like, cyclical feel to it. And the other thing that is fantastic about it that somebody else pointed out online is that really emphasizes the disgustingness of, like, the White Cloaks taking their rings as these trophies because it's sort of denying that, uh, you know, cycle of rebirth kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. It also reminds me of like what a lot of the, um, at least in the book that we're in, we're learning more about this, about how everyone believes that the Wheel of Time like spits people back out, basically. Uh-huh. And it's Patooey. kind of like the same. <laughs> but the, so it's kind of like that. Like they have this wheel of gold 
there. Um, and, you know, when one sister goes, they're still going to be sent back out into the pattern, so to speak, you know? I thought for a minute you were going to go for when one sister goes, another one opens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what what do you think happens to the jewel within the ring? Because, you know, he just has the gold part. Is that buried with her? That's my question, too. And I don't know. And I'm wondering if those somehow, like, are kept somewhere or, or... returned to be re like put into the newly forged ring or something maybe mm-hmm. like they're they're taken out before melting the gold again um yeah yeah because i was confused about that too but i think they must i he was in possession of the ring the whole time so it right. must have been taken out once he got there yeah okay so then we cut to a scene with no dialogue but it's moraine sitting in a room and lan walks in and he kind of like kneels at her side and puts his arm on her arm and um, like looks at her, her Aes Sedai ring and they kind of share some eye contact. And essentially what we're getting from that scene is that, uh, you know, they're both mourning the loss of Karene as well and also reflecting on, you know, this is what it would mean for either of us to lose the other kind of right. thing. Then we get what is one of the most effective, but I think one of the scenes I hated the most which is we cut back to the White Cloaks with Perrin and Egwene, and there is a Mm. showering scene where she is being forcibly stripped naked and scrubbed with these scrub brushes, and they unbraid her hair, and they clean under her nails, and then they put her in this new kind of, not I I don't want to say new, like it's a beautiful new designer thing, but they put her in like Mm. a new white dress kind of thing. Yeah. That scene was so uncomfortable to watch. Oh, yeah. It, I it, hated it. <laughs> it felt like very much like what the White Cloaks would do, though, you know? To yes. To make sure you were clean and that yes. you were worthy of being in their presence. Like, yeah. you know, it's, cleanliness is next to godliness kind of thing. Yeah. Again, it's one of those, I again, I think, like, clever additions to giving more depth to different folks like it just it was clearly like such a traumatic violation and assault it but like and it connects to like you said like their um the way that they operate and their their thing toward like cleanliness and spiritual cleanliness and all of that so it makes a lot of sense and i hate it <laughs> yeah in a good dehumanizing, way dehumanizing and it's Ugh. how they view people that they think are below them and like taking her braid away, I think also was a an interesting oh, yeah. choice because it was like you know part of her identity as a woman. So, mm-hmm. oh god, I hate these white cloaks. And they're they're doing exactly what I hoped they would do with them, which is in the books they're kind of just inconvenient assholes who periodically do horrendous things, but they're not as villainous and sinister as they are in the show. And I'm so happy that they did took them in that direction. Yeah, they're way more menacing. I feel like the questioners part in the books show the most True. like violent yeah. part of the white cloaks, but it it felt like them. You know what I mean? Like the questioners are like the the ones who like operate outside of the rules. Yes. Um, even their own rules, but yeah, this definitely shows them as way more like sadistic. Mhm. So they strap Egwene to a chair, and Valda is doing his favorite thing to do, which is eat in front of a prisoner. I don't know (laughs) why he's done that twice now, but it's apparently his jam. 
he is wearing his white cloak outfit and it has no sleeves and I have no complaints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is an attractive man and I he loved really the is. costume change. Okay, so she's dropped to the chair and then per- Valda has Perrin brought in. He's all tied up and, and gagged and they strap him face down on this kind of like table that uh, he's strapped to. And Egwene tries to convince Valda that they're no one. You can, like, we're just village folk. Leave us alone. But he doesn't believe her. He thinks that she can channel. And she says, I can't channel. And he's like, well, I know you're not Aes Sedai then, because Aes Sedai can't lie. And I think that's an interesting choice, because the White Cloaks, he says, like, you know, I I know an Aes Sedai can twist her words into so many ways, but uh, I know they can't lie. And in the books... It's always kind of been, from my perspective at least, that the White Cloaks aren't even sure whether the Three Oaths are real. Mm. You know, so like they don't know if I said I really can't lie or not because they're dark friends. So in their minds, so you know, uh, who can, who can trust them? Right. So I just I thought that was an interesting change. I don't know how I feel about it. I I liked that this part because it showed how. Um, unforgiving the White Cloaks are if they get an idea in their mind and how Mm, mm -hmm. just by virtue of being a woman almost, he doesn't believe her. Mm -hmm. You know, he has nothing else to really suggest anything. But just by virtue of her being a woman, he instantly, she's guilty before being innocent. You know what I mean? How undiscerning they are about that. Yes, agreed. Well, he's like, well, the light does nothing without a reason, so it must have brought you before me twice for a reason and he threatens to kill her puts a knife to her throat and says i know you can channel and she says you can't uh a white cloak would never kill a woman who couldn't channel and he's like what makes you think i'm a man who holds to my oaths Mm -hmm. and Egwene says that she will come back in her in his (laughs) she will come back in her next life and split him from head to toe like the pig he is which I loved. Egwene, mm-hmm. you're so cool. Uh, we see Valda's ring, or Egwene sees Valda's ring collection, and then Valda begins torturing Perrin, like cutting him across the back with his knife while he's screaming, and Egwene is screaming, and we see Perrin's eyes turn golden while he's being tortured. Mm. I don't know. I feel... Oh. I, I'm unsure. Like, it's clearly CGI. Yeah. And... I would rather it be through contact lenses if that could be possible. Um, I don't know. I just, I had immediate flashbacks to Twilight. <laughs> oh no. But I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it'll all be okay. And I will say when I watch an episode, I watch it and I'm like, I liked that. And then I watch it for the second time and I like it a lot more. And mm. I felt better about Perrin's eyes the second time around, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm hoping that this was just an effect for these moments because, as you saw, like the eyes kind of came and went a few times. Yeah. In my Which, view, oh. he eventually just has them all the time. Uh huh. Yeah, um, yeah. So one of the questions I've always had is how are they going to handle the like wolf GPS telepathy of parents without it being really cheesy? Mm-hmm. And as you were saying that, it 
makes me wonder if they are going to change it so that Perrin's eyes aren't always gold, but they are gold when he's hearing from or communicating with wolves. So it's mm. showing the viewer instead of telling them. Uh, I could see that. I, they're, they made some choices with this whole Perrin wolf thing that I'm not wild about. Like, <laughs> this sort of, like, effects they used, like the camera effects they used during this moment to show, like, the wolf kind of thing mm-hmm. coming out in him as he was being tortured were a little bit CW for me. Hmm. Okay, all right. I don't um, know. I'm hoping for better going okay. forward, but it felt a little bit like Teen Wolf. Yeah. That, see, that's what I meant when I said, like, uh, Twilight flashbacks. I guess yeah. Teen Wolf is probably a better comparison. No, I, t- I agree. I'm I'm still... I'm cautiously optimistic about how I feel about Perrin's wolf powers. Yeah, same. Um, Okay, so he's torturing Perrin. Perrin's screaming. His eyes are turning gold. And Valda has... I I don't remember any of it currently, but I made a note to myself that his monologue... There are several great monologues in this episode, and Mm -hmm. his monologue is a really good one. And so now I want to go rewatch it and try to remember what it was about. (laughs) His was a lot better. I think it was a lot about... He was talking to Egwene, because he's trying to get Egwene to channel at him. Yes. Okay, so essentially what we learn is Valda is like, if you channel for me, I'll kill you and let him go. If you don't channel for me, I will kill him and let you go. So he's like, make a choice, and walks out of the tent. Then we cut back to Nynaeve. She is in the warder's quarters. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Stepin comes to the door and asks her if she has any more sleepy time tea. And he thanks her. And Nynaeve goes wandering the halls and is looking at a statue when up walks Leandrin, who is murdering it. That actress Uh, is killing it. Agreed. And whoever... Okay, here's another one of my favorite things. Whoever is costuming the Reds, whoever designed those costumes, you deserve an award because (laughs) it's, it's beautiful. Like, I love it. And I love how athletic it is and how like kind of fightery it is yes especially in comparison to like moraine's clothes for example because she's wearing like a dress or at least a floor length coat kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and it just for me was really an interesting way to kind of show that the reds don't have warders and so they kind of have to do more of that like fighting themselves kind of thing not not saying they're like you know punching people and kicking and that kind of thing but it's sort of that nature of i'm the only one who can protect me exactly there's no defense there's like i'm it's almost that kind of attitude like i'm stronger than the rest of you because i'm on my own and yeah like i think i love that about their their outfits and it makes them like more able to be you know more agile obviously in battle and all that but it also is like very like gender non-specific there's a lot more pants and less like yes like flowy like oh we're in the tower and we're wearing our like eyes to die gowns um it just feels more like armor geared almost you know what i mean totally and i love love that. that yeah and it's i i really like how masculine they've made a lot of the women's clothing articles in this, mm-hmm. like the sort of like leather detailing of Moraine's like shoulders and uh, the kind of the um, like gloves that she's putting on and all of this sort of stuff. Like they've, 
they've taken kind of like women's silhouettes of clothes and then kind of like added like armory tough elements Mm -hmm. to it that are kind of like masculine and i i just i love that yeah yeah same um okay so leandrin talks to nynaeve and basically kind of is like trying to convince her that she should be a red aja nynaeve is like well you only are red because you hate men and she has a kind of a little monologue that I think is good where she says, women hold the one power, but men still control much of this world. And they're rarely kind to little girls who show a spark of being greater than they are. Mm-hmm. And so I liked that. I feel like they're giving Leandrin more, much more backstory than we get in the books. And I, I oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. And it gives context to maybe how reds might feel. Totally. You know, we're not like man haters necessarily this is our experience of the world and why we've chosen the red. Totally. Yes. Then she points, <laughs> then she points Nynaeve toward the library and says, beyond that is the gar- gardens. And um, then she goes, <laughs> I wish I'd, I'm going to do the voice incorrectly, but she goes, the persimmons are in season. <laughs> I love that just, <laughs> It was so weird and creepy and I loved it. <sighs> it was, so it was very like, evil queen you know it was kind of like hannibal lectory you know like (laughs) fava bean it was kind of a fava beans moment so oh my god or like she was working at a grocery store and we've got like two for one on bananas today did you know (laughs) all right so we are back to rand and we have i i said there were a couple of rough moments in this episode this is i think the roughest moment in the episode because we cut back to rand in the inn with matt and in walks loyal and loyal says hey look i found nynaeve and it just was way too like god is in the machine for me like it definitely was a we didn't have enough time to make this make a whole lot of sense because it didn't make a whole lot of sense somebody on the internet did say that they think what happened is you know he remembered rand was from the two rivers he went to the tower saw nynaeve and her braided hair talked to her and realized she knew rand and that she was the one he he was looking for in the town and brought her to him Okay. I I actually thought the same thing you did. I was like, okay, that's a little bit like convenient. <laughs> but yeah. I do remember when Nynaeve has her conversation with Moraine about like that you mentioned earlier when they're alone. She does tell her, I have eyes at every single entrance of this mm-hmm. city. And when your friends come, I will know and you'll be the first I will tell you and I'll bring you to them. Yeah. So I kind of took it as like just one of her eyes noticed that Rand and Matt were there. Got it. And so she sent him, her out to find them, and the, you know, she ran into the Ogier and obviously oh, was like, like at the oh. inn. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So she sees Matt, and he's sick, and she says, show me your tongue. And he, Barney Harris, does some really good acting of a person who is losing their mind, because he, like, g- grabs her really hard and is like, don't touch me. Yeah. And then he apologizes, realizing he's been an asshole. Outside, Rand and Nynaeve have a conversation where he tells her that he thinks Matt can channel, and Nynaeve asks if he's seen it, and he says no, but we saw what the Aes Sedai did to the false dragon, and like, what if that happens to Matt? 
And Nynaeve says, we don't need the Aes Sedai. I'll heal what I can, and when Egwene and Perrin arrive, we'll sort out the rest. Which is mm-hmm. just such an optimistic and totally unrealistic plan. But <laughs> anyway. Um, and then she tells Rand the story of Egwene's breakbone fever and how it's such a deadly thing. And, you know, she we we got this story in the books as well of, like, this was the first moment Egwene or uh, Nynaeve channeled was to save Egwene's life. Um, And she's like, you know, the fever had broken, not her in the morning. And she says, Egwene is many things, but above all, she's unbreakable. And let me tell you, when I say somebody picks the perfect word to describe a character, that's the perfect word to describe Egwene, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I thought that was really sweet. I liked that scene. Yeah. So then after the sweetness, we go back to the torture scene with Perrin and Egwene. And we see Egwene trying to channel, kind of focused on the knife that Valda has left behind. And Perrin is telling her to stop and that he should be the one to die. And this this is the moment where Perrin finally reveals to someone else that he killed Lila by accident. And he says, this is what I deserve. I, I don't deserve to live. And Egwene's like, you'll you'll know that it wasn't your fault one day. And then Valda walks back in and is like, so have we made a decision? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, no decision? Okay. And then goes back to torturing Perrin. And oh. Egwene continues to try to channel. And Valda kind of recognizes what she's trying to do. And she kind of has this uh, seance possession moment where she like is like remembering the flow of the river and the the channeling lesson that she had with Moraine and she drifts and is able to channel and we see like fire collecting in her hand and she kind of shoots it at Valda but it hits him but vanishes like it didn't do him any harm yeah but little sparks of it catch Perrin's rope on fire and so he's able to bust out of his ropes he stands up he sees Perrin's golden eyes and he's Valda freaks out. Meanwhile, Egwene grabs his knife, shanks him in the shoulder, grabs the rings that he has stolen from the other Aes Sedai, and they head out of it. Yes. <sighs> I What did you think of this? I liked it. The when she channeled like that, it reminded me of when her, Elaine, and um and Nynaeve are like practicing and uh-huh. like they're able to make like these little balls of light they describe them as and they don't really do don't seem dangerous it's just them like you know juggling them and like making one appear or not that's kind of what that channeling reminded me of like her very early harmless yeah sort of like that was all she could could manage at that that point point. you know yeah yeah so they run out outside it's all chaos because it's a wolf attack and a wolf barks at them and Perrin says don't worry, they won't hurt us, and they run off. So back at Tarvalon, we get a Leandrin and Moraine scene where Leandrin is wondering where Nynaeve is, and they kind of have this back and forth about how Nynaeve would never choose red. And she mm-hmm. says Nynaeve's probably just resting. And then Leandrin strokes Moraine's face because, and this is my note to myself in all capitals, this show is gay, Your Honor. <laughs> your honor i believe the show is insinuating that they are gay (laughs) yep so moraine is like uh well 
Nynaeve doesn't share your contempt of men, and then she says, look for converts elsewhere, and walks off screen. What did you make of this scene? Did you have the same vibe I I did? Yeah, I also got the vibe that Leandrin uh, is... I, I got the idea that they're sort of laying groundwork for viewers to believe that Nynaeve is going to steal Lan away as a warder from Moraine. Moraine. Mm, okay. Which, who knows if that's actually something in the book or not. I mean, I think there's always been in the back of my head that once Nynaeve is raised to full Aes Sedai, that she's going to want Lan to, like, break his bond with Nynaeve, or with Moraine. Um, but he might not do it. I don't know. But I thought that they're, they're kind of laying that groundwork and that Leandrin is, like, teasing her about it because she knows it's going to be a sore subject for her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what develops of their relationship. Um, I mean, I think my three possibilities are this show is gay, Your Honor. Uh, Possibility two is that Leandrin just doesn't respect boundaries and touches people's faces inappropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, Or both of those things. They are gay and also she touches people's faces inappropriately. (laughs) I think it's so like we'll a power move. Out. It's like a power yeah. move. Like I don't care yeah. what your boundaries are. Like I could do I could do I exist in the world how I want to. That definitely could be too, like an intimidation kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Um but she tells Moraine, you won't be here to guide her. She and you know Moraine is like, it, you're delusional if you think she'll choose red. <laughs> Nynaeve is a healer. And anyway, the, the that scene ends. And then we cut back to Stepin, and he is doing a little ritual with little Forsaken statues. And when I tell you the tweet that I sent to Amazon and Wheel of Time that if they don't make little Forsaken statues for merch, they're going to miss out on some money because I want them. Oh my god, I loved them. I was loving every single one of them. It was perfect. And people, it's so funny because people online were, of course, immediately like, which one is which and like trying Mm -hmm. to identify it. And people were able to like make convincing arguments for the specific people being this statue. And they were like, almost all like, oh, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I was trying to figure out which one's land fear. And then I think I figured it out. So he's doing a little ritual trying to keep away Ishamael, the father of lies, because he needs to see clearly, see the truth. Again, loving the way they're building on the belief system. And he asks Lan, do you believe it, that they can touch our world? And Stepan says, well, they sold their souls for eternal life. Even if they're sealed away, eternity is a very long time. So Lan puts his hand on his shoulders and says that he'll stay with him till morning. Stepan is still in mourning. And... Then we cut to a scene with Alana and Moraine, and they learn, we kind of learn more about the bond between Aes Sedai and Warders, because Alana kind of talks about how she's offered to take Stefan's bond, and, mm-hmm. or rather bond Stefan, and uh, Moraine says, mentions that she's once heard rumor of a way to release the bond, and Alana is like, don't worry, like, Lan won't be going through this, you're not going to be dying anytime soon. And... Alana is also eating persimmons and tells her about how Swan is coming to town and is, by all accounts, pissed as hell and is Mm -hmm. summoning them to the hall to answer for Loghain. And then 
Alana lays down on the bed next to Moraine because, again, this show is gay, Your Honor. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of continuing this conversation about how Moraine has two powerful enemies in the tower, Leandrin, and we don't learn who the other one is, but what we are getting sold as viewers is that Moraine and Swan actually hate each other in some way. And it's actually the very clever way they've hidden their relationship with each other and their kind of strategies with each other. Yeah, I can't wait for that moment, which they better do, like in the books when they're finally alone together. And it's like, yes, oh, hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they're building it to be a little bit bigger than they did in the books beforehand. Agreed. So then Alana tells her, like, she'll have to trust someone with her secrets one day and walks out of the room. And then we get an, a very interesting moment where Moraine looks at this little hanging on the wall and opens a little door in it, and we see a painting inside of it. And I couldn't tell what it was watching it, but somebody, of course, like zoomed and enhanced and lightened it online. And it is a painting of a woman wearing a, with brown hair wearing a blue dress kind of standing near a balcony in what looks like the same architecture of the White Tower. Hmm, okay. So I have I have a, what I think is a very strong theory about this, um, but I will not tell you what it is until I know whether that moment's coming up or not. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we go back to Stepan and Leanne, and they're talking about Alana's offer to bond uh, Stepan, and he's like, I don't know, like, I've never been with another man because, again, Alana has uh, two other warders and they're in a relationship. And Lan holds up two fingers. And f- for a minute, I literally thought that they were going to tell us that Lan has been with two men before. Oh. And I started screaming. But then he's actually telling Stepan, like, no, two men. You would be with two men. Yeah. So... Uh, he says, well, there's a first time for everything. And Lan says, assuming they want you, and Stepan laughs, like, what's not to, what's not to want? <laughs> Which, again, I loved it. The show, the show is so much gayer already than I expected. Like, it's so much gayer than I expected. I love it. I love it. So then he asks Lan to tell him about the wisdom, and Lan says, there's nothing to tell, and... We kind of get the realization that Nynaeve, I mean, we obviously know this, she channeled for the first time, presumably, to heal Lan to save his life. And so, obviously, she cares for you. Lan's like, yeah, but she hasn't spoken to me since. And Stefan's like, you're an idiot. She's obviously falling for you. Right. And then they kind of, you know, have their drinks. And then we get a fade into daylight. And it's Lan awakening, realizing he has been drugged. And he is asleep, and Ste- or he's not asleep anymore, and Stefan is gone. And so mm. he runs out the door and finds Stefan, and Stefan has stabbed himself, and he is dead. Uh, I, first of all, did not realize that that's what they were insinuating, that he was drugged in that moment. Mm. It was Davy who was like, oh, it's that tea that Nynaeve gave him. I was like, yes. oh, duh. So yeah. I was like, oh, see, I'm glad I'm watching with him. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I I saw this coming. I honestly, yeah. I knew he wasn't going to, yeah, I had a feeling this was coming. Yeah, yeah. 
So Lan is obviously sad about this. And then we get a funeral scene for Steppen, and there is Tuvin throat singing as the soundtrack. Mm. And Lan is directed to lay his hand on Steppen and relieve us of our grief. And so he's essentially asking Lan to be like a, a designated mourner. Did you know that like professional mourners are a thing? Like they've been a thing for centuries? No. Yeah, there's, there's, I, I can't remember all of the countries that it has been in. I think it's been in a pretty significant number, like definitely in um, Egypt, I remember them saying, uh, China, uh, prof- the, the United States. Um, huh. Gosh, there were a bunch more. Anyway, the concept in our world, it's sort of a... Like ceremonial thing? Yeah, kind of like in in some cultures, it's not okay to be to like publicly display so much grief, and so mm-hmm. it's kind of a way for folks to live out their grief without having to potentially like you know embarrass themselves in public. Uh, it's also kind of a thing that it's meant to sort of show how for a family to sort of show like this is how significant this person was to us thing mm-hmm. as well. Um, in this world, I feel more that it's, uh, meant for the, he is kind of channeling everybody's grief in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Is the way I read it. And they begin this sort of like rhythmic chest pounding ritual. And it starts with the man who directed land to put his hand on Steppen. And then everybody starts doing it and Lan joins in and starts screaming and crying and Maureen is in front of him and she starts crying and she's pounding her chest too. And Daniel Henney deserves a goddamn Emmy for the scene because it was so fucking good. It was so emotional. It felt very real and raw. Yeah. I cried. It was so good. Oh, I, I, I definitely teared up for sure. I was like... Uh, holding my, you know, hand to my heart like I do when I'm emotional. Yes. I watched it again, got teary-eyed again. It's Mm -hmm. really phenomenal acting, in my opinion. And the episode just fades out on that rhythm of the chest pounding that kind of sounded like a heartbeat to me. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. This was like... This episode had some of my favorite moments and some of my least favorite moments. (laughs) I guess this is the most polarizing episode so far. Yeah, I can see that. So you you had feelings about Loyal. What were some of the other moments that you weren't as crazy about? I loved the episode, and I don't mind. I was going to ask you if they ever do anything in the books for like a warder funeral or an ice no. funeral, and it sounds like no. No. So I like that they included this. I felt like it was a lot of it, though. A lot of the episode was things that aren't in the book, which is fine. But I just think the balance was a little off, you know? I felt like a lot was given to these few uh, funeral scenes with Stepin, um, and they could have figured out a way to, to wrap more of the book into it in this episode. Yeah. I felt like the bu- this episode was a little bit more focused on that kind of stuff, and I'm just ready yeah. for, you know? <laughs> You're ready I'm for ready some I'm ready to action. meet men. I'm ready to see, yeah. like, them go to a wake I'm ready to see more to happen with Leandrin and how that unfolds. So, yeah, I just felt like I'm ready to meet Swan, you know? Yes. 
I will say one thing to you, which is the bond is in the books a major, major plot line in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. So I understand kind of like looking ahead to the whole series of doing a, a, an episode like this, but I can definitely see for first time viewers who've never read the books or kind of like where we are, I can see why it would be like, this didn't feel as necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but I loved, I mean, the the scenes with Egwene and Perrin, I thought those were Ugh. really emotionally good and well acted. Yes. I like seeing more of Perrin's character and how he's yes. acting. It breaks my heart seeing him so haunted by what he did to Layla. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, it was nice to see because Perrin in the first few episodes has really kind of only had two modes, scared and like disassociated. And so mm-hmm. it was nice to see the actor um, Marcus Rutherford be able to display more of his character. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and loyal. I'm, you know, I'm not upset. It's better. <laughs> I'm just glad it looks like a complete look. You know, yeah. It's just not the one I would have went for. Is all. So okay. I'm sure I'll get used to it. I like the dialogue. I just felt like he, they really went heavy handed with like he's not a human. Like because yeah. he was like, okay. oh, I'm sorry. That's what you humans do. The humans do okay. this, and I yeah. like, oh, you humans like. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. You are no gear. He is a human. You are not a human. You are different. Your ways yeah. are different. It was just very... Like, I'm telling you, if you watch it again, if this is one of the episodes you watch again, in his opening scene with Rand, he uses the word human like seven times. Okay, I, like, I will count because I'm definitely going to watch it again. Yeah, now I want to watch it again, too. I'll probably do it right after this because I, <laughs> I didn't notice the thing you mentioned that some of the viewers will notice online about the the stone things they walk through oh the portal stone looking things yeah Yeah. who okay i went to imdb oh i know why i went to imdb i just wanted to bring up next week's episode oh so this is the episode that everyone's talking about is like the episode right yes at least a lot of people were who got reviews said were given the first six episodes to view and they a lot of people cited this as one of their favorite episodes well, I can't wait. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of what's going to happen. I guess we're going to meet Swan in the next episode because we only have three left. So that's my guess is that we're going to do like Swan and maybe um, I heard that a young Swan, Sanch, was cast for the show. So maybe there's going to be like a flashback. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe so. And the next episode, the episode is titled The Flame of Tarvalon, which would, to Mm. me, seem like it's centered around Swan in some way. Um, But the description says, Moraine faces the consequences of her actions, Matt faces the darkness in himself, and Egwene faces the most powerful woman in the world. Egwene faces the most powerful woman in the world? Yeah. You think we're going to be at Lanfear? No. no, I think is that's that about Egwene and Swan. Oh, okay. Because like a Swan is the... one for sure, one of the stronger channelers in the world, and she's also the Amerlin seat, so she's massively powerful. True. I haven't seen Swan channel at all yet. True. Yes, in the that's books. true. But I guess if you're the Amerlin seat, you got you know it's nothing to nothing to 
shake a stick at. This is the second time I've said that in this episode. <laughs> um, Ooh, do you think we'll meet Leanne then? Yes, I do. Hmm, okay. I I'm remember her that. being cast. I remember seeing the actress. So mm-hmm, I'm curious mm-hmm. to see. You know how I feel about Leanne in the books now, so I'm wondering how she's going to play <laughs> it and if it'll... If it'll uh, if it fuels that theory or not. <laughs> and your current theory is that she's a dark friend? Uh, yes, yes. Okay, okay. Well, my love language is podcast reviews and subscriptions. So if you would like to show us a little love, please subscribe to our show and also rate and review the show. That's my love language too. The best way for <laughs> other people to find about find out about our podcast is through word of mouth. So tell a friend, post about us on Reddit, or find other ways to spread the word, like you guys did this week with the Spotify thing. Ah, still can't get over that. So also feel free to email us at coolstorypod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at coolstorypod and on Twitter at coolstorypod1. And thank you so much for listening to Cool Story. See you next week. Bye.